The Eufy Video Lock takes the place of separate smart locks, security cameras, and doorbells all in one simple to install unit. A Phillips screwdriver was all I needed. The Eufy 330 Video Lock took me 20 minutes to install and there is no hard wiring necessary as it's powered by a 4-month rechargeable 10,000 mAh battery. The Eufy Video Locks are complete with fingerprint technology, passcode entry, physical keys, and free local storage for crystal clear 2K video. There is absolutely no contract nor the need for costly monthly monitoring subscriptions. The free Wi-Fi driven iOS and Android compatible apps let you have full control over your new Eufy video lock system in just a few clicks. Convenience and security are extremely important and the Eufy video lock delivers on both. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y, video lock. Because as the host of Uncomfortable Podcast, you just never know who or what will wind up at your front door. Visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock and get yours now. That's eufy, E-U-F-Y. guest 
Jeff. Welcome to Uncomfortable. Thanks, Eric. How are you this evening, my friend? I'm doing really well. I appreciate being on your show and sharing my encounters. I appreciate you being here as well. I know we had a little bit of uh, a little bit of problems getting this uh, getting this scheduled and worked out. You've you've been a busy man, and you're expecting a, a new addition to your extended family, and hope everything's going well with that. But yep, thank you. We finally everything's really well, and I appreciate your patience. Oh, no problem at all. Family first, man. Yep, absolutely. So, Jeff is from the fine state of Michigan, as are several of my guests. I guess it's I guess it's one of those things that I'm in that area, very close to it, and I spent years of my life living there. So maybe maybe I'm a magnet for uh, encounters from that state. But uh, Jeff reached out to me some time ago with uh, an email and detailed some experiences that he had had throughout uh, a couple of different locations throughout his life in the state of Michigan, and he's here to get into it with us. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess I'll start off just by sharing that I don't, when these were happening to me, I didn't really ever think of Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Um, I guess another place for me to start is saying that the paranormal has always been part of my life. I've always been fascinated by it. And sometime at an early age, I kind of diverged from being interested in Bigfoot and, and, and cryptozoology and kind of more got into UFOs that Eric, you and I have talked about at mm-hmm. length. Sure. Um, but it was interesting because something happened to me. Oh geez. About 2017 or 18 that reintroduced me into this topic. And so maybe I'll just start from there. Yeah. Why don't you um, do that? And then we can work back with the, uh, the previous, previous things that kind of fell in place for you. Yeah, absolutely. So it started for me, uh, where I bought a, uh, I live in Grand Rapids now, uh, but I do own a small hobby farm that, uh, I just love to tinker at down in Hastings in the Hastings area, very rural, uh, very heavily wooded uh, with some land on it and about 20 acres. And I mow trails on that farm uh, for family use, my own use, whatnot. And there's a point where the trail enters the forest on my property and it's pretty dense forest. And there's a area to the back of the property that I've n- never really went to before. Um, it's kind of down a ravine very, this is a piece of property that really hasn't prior to me, hadn't seen much use for probably 30 years. And so it's very overgrown and, uh, I happen to love it. But a couple of years ago I was mowing, I have an old tractor and there's a point where I kind of mow the trail into the forest, if you will. And then I have to turn around. And when I did that, my back is to that unkempt area, if you will, that ravine area. Is this kind of more and like a like a brush hog type? Uh... It's actually a 1946 farm all, so it's a pretty old antique tractor with a mow deck on it. So yeah, it's it's one of my it's one of my other restoration projects that I tinker with. But so I was kind of you know doing the back it up and turn it around, and my back was you know I'm pretty high up on the tractor, but my back is towards that area, and 
the craziest thing happened to me. It's never happened to me before or since, but I felt this very electric feeling on my back and like uh, a voice and a visualization that there is something running at me like 80 miles an hour and is now in the air and about to take me off the tractor What? and never been prone to stuff like this. And it literally caused me to almost, you know, I just jerked around and looked behind me. You know, I was like totally, the feeling was so visceral and uncontrollable. Like it, I was overwhelmed by this feeling. Like I was being electrically shocked in my back on the skin of my back. And it just freaked me out. And I happened to be kind of dabbling with podcasts and <laughs> so after this experience, I was kind of like, what in the world was that? And so somehow I, I, I can't recall, but somehow I got into to the topic of infrasound mm-hmm. and the concept of infrasound. I'm like, what in the, was that it? You know, that sort of thing. So inevitably it leads me to podcasts like yours, like, like, uh, into the fray, you know, the, the big names, right? Where we all well, thank are you for grouping me in with those. <laughs> yeah, oh, I absolutely am. And so what happened there was, and I'm sure everyone here listening understands you go straight into that rabbit hole of these amazing encounters, yeah. right? These amazing stories. And this got me introduced into a whole new world of this phenomenon that I never have really tapped into. I mean, I'm, I'm a, this, you know, a kid of the seventies, right? So it was the Patty film. It was the in search of, you know, it's all the basic Bigfoot stuff, but I never was really a collector of these modern, more contemporary encounters. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I started really just being enthralled with these stories, um, it caused me to reframe two episodes in my life that I never even thought of Sasquatch ever, not for decades. One of them happened when I was five and before you, before you get into those, those previous things, let's, let's talk a little bit about this experience that you had on the tractor. Please. Yes, please. I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. If, if you want to hear about it, I've talked about it in other episodes, but I know exactly what you're talking about when you say that electrical feel. Right. And I didn't realize it at first. I didn't realize it when it happened, when it happened, I heard a very loud noise. It wasn't yeah. until, it wasn't until I started getting grilled by my son on what was it? Was it a whoop? Was it a, ch- uh, a howl? Was it this? Was it that? Was it this? Was it that? And I literally had to yell at him and tell him to shut up because I was trying to think of what I wanted to, how I wanted to explain it. And it became apparent to me that I, I didn't have any words to explain it. I could not, when I started thinking about what I heard, I couldn't think of what I heard. And then it kind of began to, take on its own holy shit maybe i didn't hear it maybe what i maybe it was i felt it right and and when it happened there was a there was a a discharge a feeling of 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 static and 
but then it kind of tapered off and then it kind of came back only not quite as strong and then it flowed off and then it came back again but not as strong and then it flowed it flowed off again and it, it did that three or four times before it just subsided and was gone and at that point i started thinking it took it was maybe three four days later and it it hit me that i was like oh shit this is what people are talking about when they say zapped right exactly because i always thought i always thought that the the term zapped was an unusual way to describe infrasound because zapped gives the it describes a a, a feeling of i would think elect, electrical mm-hmm. not not something that you would be disrupted or ill from from an odd resonance right and but at the same time there's no other way to describe it <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're exactly right yeah so you're you're on this tractor and you feel it from you say it was on your back so i assume that means that you're you're feeling this presence from behind right and and you get this vision or this is is it something that's like actually a uh an implanted thought or or is this just like your feeling of you couldn't get it out of your brain, but it felt like you were going to turn around and see something in midair coming at you? Yeah. It was really like three things happening at the same time, and all of them became overwhelming. Like one was that physical sensation of that pinprick on your back that's just all over your back. And, you know, I'm prone to having like a shudder, you know, like I get a little, you know, you get a little chill or whatever. Mm-hmm. This was nothing like that. Like, there was no shaking this off. It overwhelmed me at one point. And at the same time as that was happening, it's hard to explain. It was almost like a voice, like, like my man, I don't know. Part of me was telling me, Jeff, there is something hurtling at you right now. (laughs) And it's up in the air. Now it leapt at you to take you off the, the tractor. And then at the same time, I was getting the vision of whatever that was, but I never saw it. It was just like I almost saw it hurtling at me through its eyes. It was just a very overwhelming experience. And it literally, I mean, for those that are familiar with a tractor like that, I literally, you know, you go by taking your foot off the clutch. Well, I literally stood up in the tractor and whirled around, and now I'm going forward into almost into trees. You know, I had to because I just had to look behind me and I had to like quick sit down and get control back of the tractor. Cause I had, I had, you know, relinquished control of it in a way, if that makes sense to you. And I just threw it in reverse and literally was then forward and got the hell out of there, you know? And, and what's going through your head? Um, well, it's hard for me to look behind me when I'm driving. So I'm just, honestly, I mean, if I put myself in my, in that position at the time, I think I was just like, just let me get out of the woods. Um, but I mean, without, are, are you, are you thinking at this point, you're not thinking anything to do with Bigfoot? No, not at all. I, I mean, it are you thinking, like, you know, is like a, a large predator cat or. Yeah. But yeah, it was like just something. Yeah malice you know like 
coming fast and not coming to jump in my lap and cuddle. It was take me off the tractor and never had that before. I've never had it there since I mow there. I'm at, at that place at least once or twice a week. I mow that all the time. Now I think about that event, but I've never had that visceral, you know, do I glance towards that area of the forest? Absolutely. But have I ever had that visceral almost takeover? No. Have you actually like gone back and investigated that area? Or, yes, or I have. Yeah. Anything it's very interesting. Anything anything to note about the area? I mean is uh, there the only th- is there water? Is there uh that's not where the water is. I do have a, a three acre pond on the property. This would be on the other side of the forest from that, but I did find a very old stone circle or fire pit back there down in the depression down in the ravine that I thought was interesting. Um, it's still not an area that it's not an area that is unexplored to me now, but it's not an area I spend a ton of time on in, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting piece of property. Um, yeah, I think if there was something I would, sorry, I was just going to say if there was something back there, I wouldn't have seen it. Like it was, very th- it's very thick back there so yeah yeah i think my my head would be on a swivel every time i got even near that that area oh for sure experience. yeah even when i hike it now you know i've i've since put trails back there um but yeah it's it's definitely got a different vibe back there and i don't i still haven't determined is that my imagination after what occurred or you know that sort of thing after you had a chance to sit and think about that experience once you once you got off the tractor you got back home you had a glass iced tea and kind of shook off the shook off the cobwebs from the whole experience was there anything that you you may have like manufactured that yourself or did you have a extraordinary amount of caffeine that day or had you, you know, yeah, had, no. had been on a bender the night before, or, <laughs> you know, well, I'll tell you, I don't drink. Um, well, uh, I, I so wasn't insinuating that you did, but no, no, I mean, no, you you're know, good. this is just to set the stage and I'm an, I'm an older guy. So, you know, I'm done with coffee after, after 12 noon. So yeah, <laughs> no, I wasn't under the, I don't think I was under the effects of anything. And that's what makes it so marked because for me, um, because the takeaway for me after you're done being shook about it is something was back there. Now, was it, I mean, it, it could be as pedestrian as was it a cougar that the DNR goes out of their way to try to say isn't in Michigan anymore. And did she zap me? Cause I, she didn't like me or didn't like the sound of the tractor possibly. Um, I have had friends who have had, experiences with cougars out west that have been i have one friend she's a biological educator and she had an experience where she got zapped by a cougar and i've talked to her since then it was a very similar experience so it could have been that it also could have been something else and the the reason why i bring that up is that's the story that got me into this topic uh and started me on this journey which was what in the world happened to me because it was so different, you know, than anything else I've experienced. Yeah. And trust me, man, 
I mean, I've read enough of stories about other stuff to scare the shit out of myself. You know, <laughs> I think a lot of us do that. A lot of us do in this, in this, when we follow these topics, right? You, you are, have moments where you scare the shit out of yourself. Yeah. This was not one of those moments. It's a bright summer day uh, evening. You know, I've, I've got my ball cap on and I'm just doing what I love. I'm mowing you know, the field. I'm mowing the trail. And I, I assume so. that tractor is, is quite loud. It is. And so I do think that that contributed to it because I couldn't hear, I wouldn't be able to hear anything if it was on top of me. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess, that, the, I guess the point I was getting at is had it been a growl from a, from a cougar. Yeah. You would not have, you would not have the sound of the tractor would have masked the growl, but if right. there was infrasound in, uh, involved in it, that portion of it would have still, would have still reached you exactly and no that's a great point um i will say i will share my friend's experience she never heard the cougar but she said she knew exactly where this cougar was moving behind them by the way she could feel the cougar on her back really yeah it was a i mean i digressed for a moment it was an instance where she had a bunch of school kids on an overnight trip in Colorado and the guide, you know, she was not the guide, right? Yeah. She was there to help teach the kids. The guide she was with was extremely, uh, knew the area very well. And I guess they had accidentally come upon, uh, in the middle of the night, like two in the morning, I guess it was just pitch black. And they came up on this mother cougar that wanted to move her ki- kittens and he said, we have to sit here and let her do this. And she said, I knew exactly where that cougar was behind us every second for the next like hour and a half as she moved one kitten at a time behind them. And she said, I knew exactly where she was. Never heard her, felt her. She said, I've never felt or experienced anything like that in my life. Isn't that something? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, could totally be her imagination too, but she swears up and down that that's how that went down. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this, uh, this event started to point you in a direction right? and, and some things started falling into place for you. Yeah. Safe to say. For sure. All right, let's get into the rest of that. Cool. So the first event that, and again, let me go back. What I was going to say was both of these two experiences that I had, very real, uh, had impacts on my life that were, some were funny, some were not so funny. We can get in, we're going to get into that, but both had gaps, if you will, and like the way the story happened to where it didn't make sense that it was a person, but I always, I, again, I never thought of this other phenomenon. So I was just saying, Oh, it was a person. What were they doing there? I have no clue. And you'll hear the stories. So the first one, I'd like to set the stage because the first one happened when I was five and it happened up in Elk Rapids and it was, an interesting time in my childhood because my parents had decided 
to move out of Detroit, move my brother and I to Elk Rapids, and they bought this roadside motel. And it was extremely pastoral, very rural. So for the, for the listeners, kind of give them a, an idea of where the uh, Elk Rapids area is. Yeah, so Elk Rapids is north of Traverse City, right on 31. So it's it's up a f- little bit further north than Traverse City. It's, uh, I would say it's, a oh my gosh, I'm guessing, but probably 30 to 40 minutes outside of, uh, north of TC. And uh, I ended up growing up in Traverse City, but there was a period of time where we owned this motel in Elk Rapids, and that was our, my first taste of country, right? And it was really country. I mean, we had to drive into town to get our mail. Um, my dad had, oh yeah, my dad had an incredible amount of, you know, I kind of kicked myself now. My dad, I wish he hadn't sold this place because it was, you know, hundreds of feet of lake frontage, um, that he owned, but in between the motel and the lake frontage was all his land, which was like a quarter mile of dense forest with a little private road. Yes, exactly. With a little private road on the property that led down to the private beach. And so, I mean, imagine that. It was just like paradise. Oh, know? I, I know the area very well. And, I mean, my, yeah. par- my parents and I vacationed there quite a few years when I was growing up, and it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous up there. Yeah, and it was just, apart from all that, it was also very interesting. I, I shared with you this story, and I, I share this just to set the stage because my kids have a hard time believing this is true. But when I talk about how rural Elk Rapids was in 1974 or 75. There was an episode there where out of my brother and I very vividly, I remember this, my brother and I were playing in the courtyard of the motel, right? My dad's working, doing something in the yard and broad daylight. And out of what I call my father's woods, please bear with me. It's (laughs) on his property. I just call it my father's woods, right? There a native American family came out of the woods and it was a little startling, right? We didn't know what they were, where they had come from or what they were doing. And they walked past my brother and I, and, and I remember them going up to talk to my dad. We were kind of nervous, you know, and my dad talked to them for a while. And, and then he came to my brother and I later and he said, he explained to us that that family lives in the woods and they have my permission to live there. They've lived here longer than we have. They've lived here when the previous owner of the motel allowed them to move there. And you're going to see them because they're going to come into the barn. My dad had this big barn on the property and it actually had a hand well pump in it for water. And they said, that's where they get their water. And said, you're not, you're not, you're not to disturb them and you're not to stop them. They're allowed to do that. And you have nothing to be afraid of. And that seems like a really odd way to tell you guys that. I know. Well, my dad was just really didn't want us to be scared, but he also wanted to let those people live in peace. Yeah. And that was who my dad but was. That, that way you, you know? describe him having told you guys is almost got an ominous feel to it. Well, I say it that way just because he wanted to make his point across. My father was a very gentle soul, but he was very clear with us that we were not to make a stink about those people because they were allowed to do that. And it was probably a difficult thing for him to have to explain, you know, why are these people living in the forest and why, you know, there's all these things to a, to a five-year-old boy, you know, you know, in, 
what was their appearance? I mean, did it, did it look like they were homeless or, um, you know, no. very, very not well off? I mean, yeah, if, it was an encampment. I, we were not allowed to, we were asked, we were told that we were not allowed to go into the woods. So it, those woods anyway. Um, so you never snuck off and tried to never, get a never snuck off. No, we snuck off into plenty of other places, but for whatever reason, we were never comfortable going in that part of the woods. And maybe it's because my dad said, please don't bother them. And you're not, yeah. to, you know, they were very friendly. Um, there was some kids that were a little older than us. I remember them being like we were at the time, shorts and bare feet. You know, it wasn't anything. I mean, I don't want to paint a picture that they were, you know, wearing traditional. Right. You know, yeah. And honestly, nothing, when, nothing when you like first that. told me about this story, that was the immediate image I had in my mind was that, that it was like a throwback. Yeah. Well, Eric, make no bones about it. There was some of that element up there, but that, that, that was not this family. No, this family just looked like they just, it was a very, I mean, my memory is obviously it, it goes back a ways. Right. Um, but that was a very vivid, vivid image of my brother and I playing. And all of a sudden they're standing there at the edge of the tree line and we're kind of flipping out, you know, yeah, I think I would have been too. Yeah. I mean, I'm five, right. I'm not, it's not that those people, I say that those people, I shouldn't say it that way, but you know what I mean? It's no, not like exactly, a, yeah. it's a startling and why are they here? And they're not a guest of the motel. And you know, it was just a very, it was just a very marked experience for me. And I, I always kind of, it endeared me to my father in a way that here he is the city boy from Detroit and, uh, you know, moving up to the country and man, did he, did he dive right into it? it took, <laughs> took it, literally took it to heart. Took it to heart. That's true. Yeah. And so that, that was that land. It was very wild. Uh, another neat story that I don't think I shared with you, but I'm still in touch with them today are some neighbor boys that were older than us. And they actually had pet crows that would ride on their shoulders. It's, it's wild, what? man. No one believes me, but this is totally true. Yeah. I talk to them now and then we talk about it. They used to harass my brother and I by sicking the crows on us. They would like have them. <laughs> They would like make him fly at us. And my dad would have to go over there and get his tools out of their cage. Cause they're, they were allowed just to fly around. So they'd fly and grab my dad's screwdrivers and stuff. Oh, <laughs> it was a wild time, man. Yeah. It was very cool. It was like, you know, going from Royal Oak to that for me, even at a young age was very different, you know, so snakes and frogs and turtles. And, well, it man, must've it was, been an enriching experience though. So. It was incredible. Yeah, it was just, I mean, we had a some sort of fruit-bearing tree. I can't remember what it was, but it was in the backyard. And I just remember this was, I just thought that was the greatest thing. I mean, they tasted like crap. They were these small little <laughs> apples or something, but I just thought that was the greatest thing, that we had this fruit tree in our backyard. I mean, it was just so new, you know? Yeah. So. And what a perfect age yeah. for you, too, that, that – that five, six, seven-year-old, that, that age of bewilderment where everything you see is something yeah. new and different. and Everything's an adventure, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it obviously left quite of an impression on you. It did, you know, and it left an impression, too, and this leads into the encounter story, but it left an impression, too, of all my cousins because we had very large extended families with a lot of cousins. Like, I, I'm still very close to them. And 
that summer, my parents had all my cousins come and stay with us for like a whole month. And cause we had this, you know, big house on the motel land. Right. And, and so the older kids would help clean the rooms and the younger kids would keep my brother and I busy. And it was like this big, huge partridge family thing going on for like a whole month up in the summer. And my cousins and I still talk about it. I mean, they filled that house, you know, Oh, that had to be and, just uh, so much fun. Yeah. And so that's the story that I'm about to tell is the story they always want me to tell when we're together because it's the story I've told them ever since that happened, but now it's got a whole new dimension to it. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's a very important story to me growing up. I mean, I'm, I'm 51 years old, so I really don't give a crap what people think anymore. You know, it's nice to be getting to that age. And I, I admit that, this, what happened to me that night traumatized me in a way that I had problems sleeping alone for well into grade school and could never really, I guess now later in my years, I kind of pinpointed to that night because I'm like, what traumatized me so bad? You know, that I just had this, I mean, it was embarrassing to be, older than I should be, but yet wanting to sleep in my parents' bedroom, yeah. you know, cause I was scared, you know, and, uh, I don't have that don't issue feel anymore. Bad, thank God. Don't feel yeah, bad. Don't. Okay. Jaws, good. Jaws did that to me. <laughs> good. It really See, did. We just all scared the shit out of ourselves when we were little, you know, <laughs> cause I, uh, I wanted to be a, an oceanographer when I was a little kid. Oh yeah. Me, me too. Big and, time. Uh, it never occurred to me that anything down there could eat you. And oh, yeah. And my parents, <laughs> my parents took me to see Jaws. And from that point on, every time I closed my eyes when it was time to go to bed, the only vision I had in my brain was being at the bottom of the ocean, looking up, seeing the silhouette of a boat with the sun coming through the water and this big-ass shark swimming circles around the boat. Yeah, man. That that was a, a constant, constant memory of yeah. And you know what made a mark when you're scared in Lake Michigan that a shark's going to get you when you're little, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Hell, even not even Lake Michigan. I can remember that summer being at Diamond Lake, which is in uh, Edwardsburg, Cassopolis area. Yeah. And uh, swimming, having a good old time, and something. Something grazed my leg, probably a, you know, small bass or a perch or, or something. Bluegill, probably. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was like, nope, I'm out. Yep. Got out of the yeah. water, and I was, I was beach-bound for the rest of that summer. And I can remember one night being out on the beach because my, my dad's whole side of his family lived on, on Diamond Lake. And the aunt and uncle that we used to go visit all the time every weekend – their son was my godfather and nice. they would, they had a rental unit attached to their house and every year they would bring in a truckload of beach sand so that on both sides of the pier, their whole front area had a very nice beach. 
and that was it was not typical for that lake to have to have a you know 10 12 foot wide beach between the grass and and the the lake shore and I can remember one night I was out there playing on the on the sand and one of the neighbor guys from three or four houses down comes running and he's yelling and he got close enough where I could understand what he was saying. He was he was asking me to go find Ron and my dad. Ron was my my godfather, and uh, so I I ran up to the house and I'm like, Dad, there's some guy out here. He's yelling for you guys. The guy said, uh, We got to go down to the marina. We got to go down to the marina. There's big news. Something happened down at the marina. And I can remember looking at my godfather. He had a Pontiac GTO, and all I ever wanted to do was ride in that car. <laughs> So right. at that point I was like, can we take the GTO? <laughs> and, uh, so we hopped in, in the Pontiac and we drove down to the Marina and there was a guy there who had a full size canoe. I'm assuming it was 10 foot. Right. And strapped. Now this is evening. He had a couple of weird poles sticking off the sides of his canoe with uh, lanterns on it and stuff. Strapped to the side of the canoe was a garfish. Oh, no kidding. That was as long as his canoe was. Yeah, man. And when I saw, when I saw the length of that in, in diamond Lake, I was completely done. I was like, Nope, no more. I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) I totally get it. Yeah. Nightmare fuel. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I remember watching the muskie chase each other during mating season up in Lake Long Lake up north. And that's nothing like what you're talking about, but it's still a five and a half, six foot fish. When they're really big. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when you see the teeth on a muskie. Holy crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Gar's no slouch either. Oh, sorry. I, I got you off topic here. So no, no, it's great. I love it. Um, trust me. I'm one to digress myself, but, yeah, so this episode in my life, again, I just reiterate that I never once attributed to this phenomenon, but now after hearing other people's stories that have similar connectivity to this, it was like, how can I not try to at least be open to the idea that it was? And so let me just set the stage and kind of, Bring, you, bring everyone into the story when I started remembering what was going on because it was in the middle of the night. And when I mean the middle of the night, it was like the very most silent part of the night. I don't know the time. But something woke me up. And I don't know what it was. I don't remember that part. I think I was asleep. But I knew I had to get to my mother, mom and dad's bedroom immediately. And I remember, I remember it was, all the windows were open. You know, I I don't even think we had air conditioning. Um, All the windows were open. Northern Michigan, you know, air billowing in, uh, breezy, well lit. And I don't know if that was the lights from the courtyard or if if it was a particularly bright moon that night. But I just remember running down the hallway, but, and then this is where it gets interesting. It's almost like I'm observing myself in this experience because something told me I needed to stop at the doorway. 
And I also knew that I had to look at the window because I knew somehow in my half days of sleep, if you will, I knew somehow something was going to get to that window and I had to get to my parents' bed before it reached the window or else it was going to see me. And I remember reaching the doorway and just, you know, stopping dead in my tracks because whatever it was that woke me up in my room had made it around the house and made it to that bedroom window before I got to my parents' room. And I remember my heart just sank because there it was in the window looking at me. And I couldn't see its face, but it was very bright. So picture this silhouette, you know, two hands on the windowsill and this head in the window. Yeah. And I remember standing there kind of hiding behind the door frame, just peeking around, working up the nerve for several minutes. And finally, I'm just like, I got, I just decided I was going to go for it. So I literally jumped. I literally ran across the room right in front of it. It was, you know, it watched every step I made. And I remember just being so terrified that it was going to see me. And it did. There was no question about it. It watched me run across the room and literally dive between my mom and dad. (laughs) And they didn't wake up. So I must have been pretty good at it, right? And I remember laying there, just my head buried in the mattress, right? My hands were up by my face. And I'm like, I got to check. And so I remember my dad was sleeping closest to the window. And so I remember putting my hand on his shoulder. He's like this big giant wall of a man, right? And I look over and it's still in the window. And I'm like, oh, and I, you know, I just remember doing that a couple times and it was still in the window every time it never left. And finally I just fell asleep. Like I just, just decided it wasn't going to come in. And so I went to sleep and the title of that story that my cousins always have me tell is they say, Jeff, tell the story of the woman in the window. Well, why is that? Why, why a woman? Because of all the hair. That's all I remember is this halo of hair around. It. And so five-year-old me was like, there was a long haired woman in the window. Yeah. And what, after listening to these stories, you start hearing these stories about, you know, these creatures, if you will, tapping on the windows, you know, and, and, yeah. and being interested in children sure. yeah. uh, playing and tapping on the windows. We've Anybody who's followed this has heard these amazing stories. And sometimes it's the parents telling the story of where they've walked in and there's something in the window smiling at the kids, meeting them no harm. But, or there's even been encounters where the children have described that for years this thing would appear in the window and it would tap on the window until they started playing with their toys and then it would watch them and then sometimes i remember one very vividly the kid said when i got too tired i would just crawl in bed and pull the covers over my head and somehow it knew we were done and it would leave and so again can i say it was this phenomenon Of course not. 
but so I assume I assume like from the description from when it was when you were awoke in your in your room mm-hmm. to the point that it got to the other window that that would have right. been a considerable distance to cover in the amount of time that you were able to go across, across the hall to your parents' bedroom. Yeah, but somehow in my half-tired state, something woke me up and I knew it was going to try to meet me at my parents' room, but I don't know why. That's the part I can't remember. You get the overwhelming feeling that it was just one? Or could in one that have, encounter? Or could one yes. of been the reason you woke up and the other one was on the other side of the house. I'm completely open to the possibility that it could have been a couple, of course, but something, I knew something had a chance to run around and meet me in my parents' room. And I did not want it to see me anymore. That's what I remember. So how old were you at this point? Five years old. Five. Mm -hmm. So you don't have, you wouldn't have any real recollection of, uh, the, the height of the windows from the outside. No, it was standard. Yeah. Just, just I mean, normal. It wasn't like, yeah. I mean, I visited there after since then just being nostalgic and it's just a normal, it, it wasn't the, it was oh, four feet off the ground, the bottom sill. It wasn't, it wasn't tall. Mm-mm. I mean, was it crouched? I have no idea. It was two hands and a head silhouetted by light behind it face was pitch black because of the shadow and it was just hair. All I saw was hair flowing in the breeze. Do you remember? Was it like, was there any remarkable mass to it or no? Mm-mm. This was the same place with the, the native Americans that lived in the woods. Correct. Possibility that maybe they were entirely possible. It's entirely possible, but I will say this. I've asked my brother this since we never saw that family again. Well, that's odd. After that initial thing, they came respectfully asked my dad if they could continue living on the, in the woods and they would get water. I never saw them again. Hmm. So it was very clear that they were going to stay out of our way and not bother us. And likewise. So I don't know. Could it have been one of their kids messing around? It's entirely possible. What's your gut tell you? It wasn't them. I had a feeling. My gut said that it could have been a guest, but why? <laughs> it could have been. But was that area forested enough and wild enough based on what I feel I know to, to you know, house or be a habitat? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind about that especially then, you know, in the seventies, Yeah, but it was just a wild, wild experience and it traumatized me. So something was something about the experience that I either can't remember or won't remember prior to what I do remember, meaning running into my parents' room. I, something was traumatic about it. Something didn't feel right. You know. Yeah, I, I have one of those experiences myself. I remember seeing a um, a silhouette. My my bedroom was right across the hall from my parents' bedroom, and as a young lad, filling my head with 
UFOs and, and Bigfoot and, <laughs> and watching every possible monster movie that could be on TV, uh, creature features, dealt with it really well while it was daylight. And once it was time to go to bed, then, of course, everything in my mind was coming to get me and was going to be right outside my window. Right. So I would always sleep with my back to the window facing my bedroom door and I had to have the hallway light on with my door open just like about two inches so I could see the light into the hallway. And I remember seeing a silhouette look at me through my door and which is not unusual. Parents check on their kids all the time, right? Right. Yeah. Um, my dad was uh, a bit shorter than me, stocky, had a flat top, and that's a very distinctive silhouette when you have a flat top. <laughs> exactly. And this was not my dad, and it was interesting. most obviously not my mom. So I don't know what it was. Was it a shadow, shadow figure? Was it uh, something else? I have no idea. <clears throat> yeah. That's I have no idea, it. but... It's fascinating to live in a world that isn't explained. It was it it's was such a it was in. such a brief thing. I know that I was awake, and it had to have been when I was about seven years old. Until this day, I can close my eyes and I can re envision that that moment, and it's terrifying. So yeah, I, I understand exactly what you mean. You don't you don't know what to make out of it. You don't have any reason to believe that it was anything more than what it was but i do know that that wasn't my dad standing there and it wasn't my mom right right so who the hell was it yeah i mean at least it leaves it in my case it adds a potential third possibility that i never considered until i heard all these other encounters and it just added that i don't know that extra color to the picture if that makes sense or mm -hmm. sounds too philosophical but it adds that extra dimension to this that wow <laughs> it, well it's like it puzzle, puzzle pieces falling together right exactly yeah it was it was an amazing experience and i mean like i said my cousins and i get together and they always want to hear it my mother never heard that story until shortly before she passed we were at a family reunion they're all screaming for it she's like what is this story and finally I told it to her in front of her and I'm like, I don't know why I never told my parents. Um, maybe because I would, I, at the time, maybe I was afraid they would not let me sleep <laughs> in their room or something. But, um, you know, I never told them until they heard that she heard that story and she didn't not believe me, but she was kind of, she was tripped out about it. You could tell she was, you know, didn't like the idea of someone staring in the window oh, sure, yeah. when she was trying to sleep, you know, no one would, but yeah, it was a, a very, it, it was a fun time, but that was a very, very uh, marked experience then that, that impacted me for years. Like I said, I had trouble sleeping alone. Um, even having my brother in another bed in the room was not good enough. Um, it was, it was a tough it was a tough period of time after that for me to, you know, come back to being comfortable again. Right. And, uh, I, I can only really attribute it to that. So that was the first experience when I was younger. And, um, 
you know, if it's all right with you, we can move on to the second. But yeah, I, yeah, by all means. Yeah. Yeah, so fast forward 30-some years and, you know, kids married, investing in some property and bought this little plot of land in the middle of the forest in Irons, Michigan, uh, which is near Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Very rural part of Michigan for those of you that don't live in the state. That county very is rural. <laughs> very rural. So Baldwin, Irons, you know, it's it's not really a town, but it's an amazing area of the state. Uh, right near the Manistee National Forest. Mm-hmm. So the property that I owned at the time, I no longer own it. But the property I owned at the time was literally on the edge of it. And very undeveloped area, um, a dirt road. Um, sometimes we made the mistake of thinking I was on my property. I was accidentally on someone else's. That's how it was not marked that well. <laughs> but one day my, my buddies, two of my buddies said, Hey, you've owned this property. You've never taken us to it. Let's go camping there. And I'm like, Hey, I'm in. So I was in my mid thirties at the time and we went camping. I had a tent, but I wouldn't say that I was really good at it, but my buddies were good at it. So I'm like, all right, well I'll tag onto them and you know, sure. Do as they be, do. It'll be a fun time. Yeah. It was very exciting. So we did that. We stayed there a Friday and a Saturday night. Uh, my one, my one close friend came and met us from Traverse city. He came down. My other very close friend came with me from GR and we went up there and camped and very, tranquil, very normal, nothing out of the ordinary, you know, typical sort of thing, food left out on the cooler, we go to bed. And I'm a very light sleeper, and I'm sure I know, Eric, I know you well enough to know that you do a lot of camping, so you know that if something happens in the middle of the night, it's you're going to hear it. Mm-hmm. it the stillness of the night is something to be experienced when you're out outdoors right and i remember i'm a very light sleeper and i remember waking up to the sounds of footsteps and they were coming out of the out of the woods behind me so picture a small clearing in the middle of my property and our tents were at the outer edge of the the clearing and this would be the side of the tent that was facing, that would be facing the forest that went on and on and on. Right. And I was freaking out, but not for reasons people might think. I thought it was a bear. So I didn't have a gun, nothing. We left a bunch of food out. I am laying in my tent, just hanging on every sound as I'm listening to this thing walk around my tent walk around my buddy's tents. And at first I'm like, did someone just get up to go to the bathroom? But I never heard a zipper from the tent. You know, and you hear, you would hear all these things, right? uh, Somebody unzipping a tent is very, very very recognizable sound. Yeah. None of that. You can't do it quietly. None of that happened. And I listened to it for like a sustained amount of time. And, And it didn't sound like it was small feet. It also did not sound like it was four feet. It sounded like it was two feet in a very sustained footfall. What I mean by that, not a small deer hoof. That's just, this was crunch, crunch, not really trying to be quiet. 
So instead of having, basically what you're trying to describe is not having a, a very small footprint versus Correct. versus covering a, a considerable amount of square inches with, with each step. And so none of this was going in my mind. Again, it, the idea of, the, of Sasquatch never entered my mind. What entered my mind was, holy shit, there's a bear. Yeah. And we left food out, but I ain't going out there. And so I listened to it, and all I could hear was footsteps. Nothing rummaging around. None of my buddies were were waking up as far as I could tell. And then it just walked past my tent and back out into the forest. And I'll tell you what, if I had to use the restroom at that moment, it was going to be inside my tent. I was not getting out of my tent the rest of the night. I don't think I would have blamed you. And so sun came up. I did. I think I did fall asleep. Sun came up and I'm awake. Right. I'm like, wow, that was crazy. So I got up, you know, it was daylight. So I felt I was pretty safe. Got up, you know, my buddies eventually rousted up and I asked them, I'm like, did you guys hear that thing last night? And what, what was that? And I went on to describe it. And my, my one buddy's like, nah, man, that was a deer. He, they're just coming in to check out the camp. Cause he was trying to make me feel better that it wasn't a bear. Cause I'm like, was that a bear? I mean, like, should we be better about food? And he was like, no, if that was a bear, it doesn't care that you hear it or not. It's going to go through the cooler. It's going to make a ton of noise. It's going to tear this place apart. That was just a deer checking it out. I'm trying to describe it. I'm like, yeah, but the feet didn't sound. He's like, trust me. It was a deer. And I'm like, deer, four in the morning, coming into camp. And he's like, trust me, it was not a bear. I think and that's all the, I thought about. I think any of the you hunters know, like, that I know would, uh, would say that a deer would be bedding down at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm like, why would a deer come into an encampment smelling like human? I don't know. It was just, but he was trying to make me feel better. And it worked because I'm like, okay, if he says it's not a bear, he's my one buddy who's like Mr. Outdoors. If he says it's not a bear, I'm good. Never thought about it again. Until the next night, Saturday night, footsteps again out of the woods. No way in hell am I looking, but I'm listening, and almost the same thing happened again. It lingered around the camp, just walking around, did not touch any of the food that was left out, didn't poke around anything. So still you could hear where it was, you know. Didn't hear any breathing, not going to pretend that I heard anything other than footsteps, Mm -hmm. and then it went back into the woods. But... The one thing I always say is that second night, my buddy who was trying to convince me it wasn't a bear ended up sleeping in his truck. <laughs> so he's laughing about it when I think back because he went out of his way to make me feel better, but he somehow didn't wind up in his tent that night. He wound up in his truck sleeping. But oh, man, that's And wrong. so that's another one where I'm just like, what did I blow off at the time? You know, what, I mean, not that I would get out of the tent and, you know, catch it unawares and I mean not wasn't interested in anything like that but it's just amazing to me to think that when you're not exposed to what other people are experiencing how you just can soothe yourself with something else it's not a bear good I don't want to think about it I there's nothing else it worries me out here you know 
Well, right. I, I think the the nature of man is to, you know, create something believable to to bring us comfort. Right. You know, I, I think yeah, uh, I think religions, uh, the the vast number of religions throughout the world, uh, are, are proof of that. Yeah, and you hear all these stories now that are just so fascinating to me now about these hunters who are like, you know. Here, I finally saw this thing, but now it makes sense while I was getting acorns thrown at me for like hours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I, it's like you don't think about it. What's what could be throwing pebbles at me in the middle of the woods? You know, you don't. You try to tell yourself it's something else until whatever it is you see makes it completely undeniable. You know, yeah. and it just so that's what I wanted to share. I really wanted to share these experiences, and then what happens later you know, fast forward 15 years later, I get reintroduced to where this isn't a Pacific Northwest thing. Exactly. This isn't a Patterson Gimlin film thing. One time shot. This is a lot of experiences. Thousands. And a lot of them in Michigan. Yeah. And it just like, wow, holy shit. Or these could, these two experiences in my life that are so vivid could that have been the reason? Could that have been, could they have been involved? And so it's just fascinating to think about. And I realize this may not be the most interesting set of stories because I didn't see it. I can't tell you exactly what it was, but I felt something, you know, and. Well, just, I, I, I have to say, I think these, these types of stories are just as necessary and just as important as as the uh, as the people who uh, claim to have a, a, a visual sighting, because well, I think you. I think what you I think what your stories do point out the peripheral aspects of what potentially could be an experience with these creatures, but it's it's not a it's not a face to face. You're you're experiencing right. the peripheral extension of an encounter and and I think that's equally as important to give people an idea of how to put together these puzzle pieces and 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 form you know I mean I've never seen one and I, I'm much in a, uh, a similar position as you once I started delving deeper into this and getting weeding through the the uh, the bullshit that you see on TV for the most part, um, in the shows that are overly produced and you start getting into actually listening to factual stories, that's where I started putting two and two together and realizing that a couple of really uncomfortable experiences I had in the woods were again, peripheral things that point to possibly being from these creatures such as being based paced out of the woods, followed out of the woods. Um, unusual exhales of breath, uh, at, at quite a loud volume behind me, yet uh, nothing there. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting the, <laughs> it's interesting the, uh, the, the, the geographical areas that you, you brought up because um, I can remember being uh probably in the neighborhood of 12 to 14, something like that, going on vacation with my parents up to Traverse City. And uh, I remember a 
about a week before we left on this vacation, this one year, in the newspaper, in the South Bend Tribune, there was an article about Honor, Michigan. Oh, yeah. And along the Platte River, there was a report of a Bigfoot sighting. Yeah, man. On the Little Platte. Yeah. So on the way to Traverse City, my dad surprises us with going to a fish hatchery. Oh, yeah, I've been there. In, in I totally Honor, Michigan. Talking about. In Absolutely. Honor, Michigan. My mom took me there one time. Totally. And uh, we walked in, and the little, uh, the little guest area uh, had a couple of aquariums. At the time, there was a two-headed uh, coho. That was. Yeah, totally. uh, <laughs> do you really? I do. I swear to God, and I remember the, that. The yeah, poor little crazy. bastard was swimming around in a circle. Yeah. And uh, the next year, we went back again. My parents had a very, a very bad idea on what was a good vacation because it seemed like when you would find one thing that was really a wonderful, terrific vacation, they expected that that be repeated every time you go back there. And, yeah, the and same just, experience yeah, every and time. It, and, it just, yep. and it just got boring. But the second time we went back there, that, that little uh, two-headed coho was actually in a jar of formaldehyde. So That's when did, I saw it. Okay, so let it. me just, yeah, let me just qualify that. When I saw the little two-headed salmon, yeah. it was in a jar of formaldehyde. I never saw it when it was alive, but I totally. I, I saw it when it was alive and it was, over that. and it was swimming in a circle. But yeah. there were, uh, there was a report of a sighting along the little plat, which ran directly behind that fish hatchery. Yeah. Well, that's a wild area, man. I mean, if you've ever canoed that area, yeah. there's, there's, I mean, even to this day, I wouldn't say that's a very developed part of the, of the County and, mm-hmm. um, you know, BFRO being what it is. I mean, I've, obviously you get interested in this. So you're like, Hey, let's check out what's going on. And, sure. You know, I looked up in there and one of the most detailed accounts happened right where you're talking about Yeah. on, in that lake that you, uh, Whenever, if you've ever done any canoeing in honor, you canoe and you, you reach a lake that you traverse and then you go towards the big lake, but you're in this little lake and in the middle of the night, those people had quite an encounter, um, rock throwing, you know, so I invite everyone if they haven't already checked that out. That's an interesting story on BFRO up in, up in, I think it would be, that would be Benzonia County or Leelanau County, one of the two. Sorry, I'm bad with that, but it might be Benzonia. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, yeah, that, you can say what you want about the BFRO. Um, you know, there's, there's some members that have, uh, have some, some mud on their face and, right. um, it, as a website itself, it is a good resource just to check for sightings in a specific area. Those, yeah. those I reports mean, for the most part encounters. are, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if you go there, understand that what you read is probably going to be a sanitized version of what really happened. Exactly. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, it still is a, it, it's still a, a pinpoint on a map of, of where there's been encounters. And I use it. I use it quite often, to be honest with you. Um, last summer we took a, uh, a three day trip down the Manistee river through the, nice. through the Nas- national forest. And, uh, I found that where we were putting in at, 
about 10 years prior to that, there was a sighting with a fairly decent report. Um, not, not even a mile away from where we put in at. And then the point where we took out, which was the original place where we, uh, we paid for the, the, the ride with the kayaks less than three quarters of a mile from there, there had been a, a, a fairly good sighting, uh, within three years now. Yeah, I have no doubt. Yeah. I, I had a terrible night that night. One of the, the, the second night, it was absolutely terrible. It was, <laughs> it started off with everything was fine. I mean, the trip was great. It was wonderful. Uh, that evening ended up with uh, three of us sitting at a fire. One gentleman got up while we were sitting there. Um, we had three owls that were one, one I could say was like directly across the river from us. And that was the closest. We had one that was what I assumed was on the same side of the river, but further back behind us. And then we had one that was up way further ahead of us. And when they would, when they would make their, Oh, right. It was, it was the, the closest one then the one behind us, then the one ahead of us. It was always in that pattern. And it was always three. It was always three. And it went on. I, I recorded it. It went on for a long time. The one gentleman had a few beers and decided to retire. So he went and got into his hammock. And from that point, uh, he, was, he was nice enough to pick up another log and put it on the fire before he went to lay down. So <laughs> the other gentleman and myself kind of looked at each other like, well, that was a dick move. Now we got to sit here and let it burn <laughs> down. Sit there and watch it. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to put it out because we wanted hot coals for the morning. So we sat there and after he had retired, now we have two guys sitting at the fire, right? So if you're right. at, at any distance and you're looking at us, now you're going to see two, right? And it's not 10 minutes after the third guy goes and lays down. We hear, whack, whack. <laughs> two tree snaps. Two, two like, tree snaps. Just yeah. thuds with a crack in it. And I looked at my buddy John and I was like, did you hear that? <laughs> and he's like, yep. <laughs> and then it, it, it did it again. Crazy. Yeah. But it was only two. Right. And he got up and went and grabbed uh, the the spot that we had stayed at. He was actually in that same, that very same campsite the year before. And there was a, there was a log that he said, and this thing's been here since last, you know, I remember messing with this, this tree limb last year and it was obviously been there for a long time. There was no, uh, no bark or anything on it. He picked it up and he smacked the tree. Well, it, it did not resonate. It was not a, it was not a good limb for tree. Knocking. Yeah. Right. But he hit it twice and a pretty good amount of time went by. I mean, it wasn't anything that was a, happened really quickly, but you know, maybe a minute, minute and a half later, we hear another whack, whack. 
and and I just looked at him. He looked at me and he kind of rolled his eyes and shook his head like he's he's into it, but he's not one to put a whole lot into it. Right, of course. uh, So it burned down. Fascinating subject. Yeah, Yeah. it, it burned down. We went to bed. He got in his hammock. I went to get in mine. Sat down in it, tore the mosquito net out of it. I flipped backwards. My head's on the ground. My ass is still in the hammock. <laughs> I'm like, uh, you know, it's like one thirty in the morning. I'm like, what in the hell? And uh, so I, I, I wiggle my way out of it, and finally I'm on the I'm on the ground. And I I sit up, and all of a sudden, you know, my stomach is just churning, and that uh, that reconstituted uh, boiling water in my uh, rice and chicken mountain meal is is ready to come back and <laughs> i'm like oh my god i am not going way out in the woods and digging a hole for this so i just brought my back up against the tree and you know hope like hell that i woke up before everybody else so i could bury it and it, everything that could possibly go wrong it got so much colder than it was supposed to get that night i did not pack well for it you know i right. was expecting a summer night get down to maybe in the 60s and you know i'll be fine well i went and i got everything that i had that even resembled clothing and put it on i remember i had a pair of socks on my hands and i had a neck (laughs) gaiter pulled up over my head as much as i could and yeah i even put sunglasses on to keep like keep the dew out of my face (laughs) you know the, the rain shield that i had for my hammock was it wasn't big enough to cover a dog, you know, and I mean, I bought everything off of Amazon at the last minute and I didn't, I didn't trial test anything and, oh, it was absolutely horrible. Once I, <laughs> I went to get in my sleeping bag and it only zip up to my hip because it was too small and I barely fit in the damn hammock and I can just remember I finally, finally got relatively comfortable and I'm laying there and, uh, and then I start hearing splashes in the water. No way. And I was like, well, it's got to be like muskrat or, you know, right? Right. <laughs> but in the middle of the night? Yeah. yeah you know, we're, we're at like 2, 2.15 by this time. Sure. And, you know, so I'm, I'm hearing splashing in the water. I had, oh, you know, for God knows how many times I hear wood knocks. I got splashes in the water going on. I'm like... I'm praying for daylight. I'm that little kid. I'm that little kid again who watched all the scary movies during the day. And then when he went to bed, everything was coming to get him. You know, and I was, I was hundred percent convinced that, you know, 10 yards away from, from my hammock, there was probably a family of four of them that were just standing there laughing their ass off at me because (laughs) I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it was, it was crazy. It was just weird. Just, just a lot of weird coincidences and, you know, but going those, back, we, go ahead. Go ahead, please. No, I was just going to say it's a situation that I, I sometimes call snake bit. You get snake bit early and it stays snake bit all the way through everything. <laughs> Nothing goes right after yeah, that. You know? No. Next yeah. day, next day was terrific, though. But that, that night, yeah, that's good. that was a night from hell, man. Uh, it was, yeah. it was terrible. I had but a, back to I had your, a, back to your uh, Baldwin area. Please. Um, yeah. Probably it's going to be eight or nine years ago now, I uh, ended up having a conversation with a dad of one of the the boys on the football team that played with my son. 
and they had a trailer that they had picked up and they bought a piece of property in Baldwin and it was going to be for hunting in the fall and snowmobiling in the winter. So they took this trailer, which, and I had seen the trailer. I mean, no disrespect to them, but it was absolutely nothing fancy. It was probably in the neighborhood of 20 years old. And, uh, I remember him showing me pictures of this and it had, uh, obviously it was, it was, had wheels on it, but it had been set up to be like a semi-permanent structure because they actually put like a skirt around it. Oh, got it. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, maybe this thing was not even half as long as like a mobile home, you know, 20, 25 foot long, maybe. And, uh, I remember him saying that they had gone up there during the summer and they were doing all kinds of work and getting the area ready. And the, uh, the property had a clearing on it. That's where they put the trailer and the rest of it was surrounded by woods. I almost want to say that that piece of property was kind of landlocked that they had actually had to, um, come in through, uh, somebody else's property in order to get to that. Totally. So, he uh, he told me that after that first winter that they had gone back up there and that that trailer had been just demolished. Really? And he said what was really weird about it was that there was like, if you would have picked up a, a, a big log with a, a, a piece of uh, power equipment, and and dropped the log on the roof of the the trailer in two spots because there were two very large dents in the top of the trailer. You're kidding. And one of I think it was the back wall had been pulled off and just demolished. But he said from what they could tell, you know, nobody stole anything. He he chalked it up to you know, bored kids living in Baldwin, Michigan yeah. with nothing better to do. But they didn't uh, steal anything. Yeah, but, but they didn't steal anything. And they I don't think them. that they probably had a whole lot up there to begin with because it was, it was only for hunting and, and snowmobiling. Yeah. But I've done a lot of fishing around there, you know, salmon fishing and trout fishing on the Pier Marquette and whatnot. And <clears throat> it's hard to grasp just how much land there is out there that's oh, wild. Sure. I mean, and, and wild, like it's hard to imagine you're even in Michigan, uh, you know, with how flat it can be, um, to be in some of those areas that I fished in. And yeah, it's, it's got a vibe, man. You know, I, I, every time I fish there, don't even, again, not even in times where I'm not even thinking about, uh, you know, Bigfoot or any of these topics before I even got into it. I did a lot of fishing in those areas and there's a vibe there, man. You're, you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> and, and you feel like it, <laughs> you know, it's hard to, hard yeah, to you might as you might as well be in the UP. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, yeah. If you get in trouble out there, you're, you are in trouble because it's not, you're not a hop, skip and a jump away from any assistance, you know? So, 
Yeah, I just remember yeah, him telling me about that, and everything. That is crazy. Ev- everything made sense that it could be vandals. Vandals, you know, somebody, maybe somebody local was pissed off that they bought that piece of property, and you know the the property that you had to go through to get to that property because it was landlocked. Maybe they weren't happy about that property being sold, or who knows. But the, the thing that resonated with me was the the two extremely large dents on the top of the trailer when there were no fallen trees and that area was, they put it specifically in that area because it was in the clearing. Right. But yet it was, it was locked by, by wooded area. Yeah. It's wild there. It doesn't, none of that surprises me. Yeah. Up North. It's, it's kind of like that in the Fife Lake Kalkaska area too. Very, very wild out there. Yeah, that's what gets yeah. me about people that, you know, they flippantly say, oh, you know, there, there's no place for them to hide. <laughs> not true. I, I beg to differ. Yeah. yeah, not true. Yeah. I mean, I've been in areas. Anybody that's yeah. willing to live off the grid could could easily stay not found. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, even here in GR, there's parts, you know, on your way to Kalamazoo when you're not on the highway, you know, Hickory Corners, um, Yankee Springs area. That's, there's a lot of forested land there, <laughs> you know. Well, hell, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a conference up in uh, West Branch. And uh-huh. uh, I'll tell you what, that last hour of getting there, last 40, oh, yeah. 45 minutes to an hour of getting there, holy yeah. crap. Yeah, were you on seventy five or? Uh, I wasn't really paying attention. I was letting my son drive. Oh, gotcha. So yeah, I, got <laughs> I was just kind of. But no, uh, I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, yeah. It, there was a, there was a lot of wide open space. And Nothing but trees. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very yeah. It's, we've got some wild land around here. It's awesome, but yeah, is it is it possible? Of course it is. I mean, who wants to live close mindedly, right? Yeah. So. All right, fascinating Jeff. times. Let's get cool. off. Let up, let's get off this subject, and uh, mm-hmm. let's touch on uh, one of your other passions. Yeah, UFOs. Right. And now what we a could passion. we could sit here and we could have the same discussion that you can find on any other podcast about this phenomenon, but let's not, because I think everything that needs to be said has already been said. Right. I want I want to know from you with the last year and a half, close to two years now, of all the talk and the leaked videos from from our government and our military right. and all the talk of uh, a soft disclosure, a total disclosure, um, government committees. What's your, what's your take on all that? Wow, yeah, so fascinating times we live in, right? Um, oh, for sure. I, I don't even know. I mean, it even started with the Nimitz video, right? Who would have even expected them to say what they said then? And yeah. now it, now we're in this cascade of more and more videos coming out that the Navy is, and I say that very succinctly, you know, the Navy seems to be the branch that's releasing the video. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it's only the Navy? Yeah, so... Here's my take on this, and I don't think this has been discussed elsewhere, but it, there's a fascinating book I read, and I'd love to share the title of it with the, with the audience. It's called The Hunt for Zero Point. 
And it was recommended to me, and anybody who follows military aviation knows what Jane's Defense Review is. Are you familiar with that firm, uh, Jane's? Somewhat. Somewhat. They're I, like the Wall Street Journal of the, of the defense industry, mm-hmm. right? And so their job has been to catalog and be a source of open military intelligence, if you will, on vehicles, planes, ships, whatever. And so this book is written by a person who is an editor for Jane's. And so I, I'm like, wow, that's, that's interesting. And basically it was a book about, is there a possibility that there has been anti-gravity research or gravitic lift assist, whatever you want to call it. There's the rumors that it might, some part elements of that technology might be in the B2, not anti-gravity, but anti-gravitic lift assist, uh, you know, with, by supercharging, you know, the front plane edge of the triangle. Anyway, something in that book struck me to my core and anyone can buy this book and read it. It's a fascinating read of this man's journey into this topic. He never really gets anywhere because he runs into roadblocks, but during his research, he visited the NASA advanced propulsion, um, laboratory mm-hmm. it's not in houston it's not in florida i believe it's in I'm, I'm sorry but it's it's not in either of those places but it's where they have their advanced propulsion lab and he you know he had contacts right and in, in, in the defense industry so he made these contacts and talked to this person and of course the gentleman said i'm unaware that we're working on any sort of anti-gravitic sort of uh technology but he did say something else interesting, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I feel I'm catching the, the, the core of what he said pretty accurately. It's been some months since I've read the book, but he said something really interesting. He said, you know, it's always been a source of concern for everyone in this building that what we have dedicated our lives to and our careers to the technologies that we're theoretically thinking about and playing with, it has been rumored and it's always been a existential fear, I guess, that the Air Force has actually already had this technology for 20-some years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's what anyone in this building is concerned about, that what they're working on, the United States Air Force already has. I thought that was such an interesting statement, but then it ties into why has the air force not said a word in light of everything that's been happening with these videos coming out from the Navy. The Navy cannot be the only branch of the military that has a UFO issue. Now the Navy is the only branch that has a USO issue. And you know, a lot of their videos now have been talking about Mm -hmm. what they're now deeming transmedium craft in and out of the water. The right. tic-tac was in and out of the water. We know that uh, based on the, the stories and based on radar data, whatever. But I, I find it fascinating that that gentleman said that from NASA about the, he didn't say he made it a point in the book to be quoted. He didn't say the United States government. He said the United States air force. And I find it intriguing that in light of everything that's come out, the Air Force has never been the one to leak. So 
could this also be the Navy like poking the bear <laughs> in terms of well, we're going to disclose? I've heard that before. You're not the first yeah. one to say that that it, it could be them, as it were, poking the bear. Poking the bear, saying, you know, maybe they're they're uncomfortable with what they feel the Air Force knows or doesn't know yeah. or doesn't share. Let me put it in better terms. I mean, because obviously, I, I mean, a, when you're talking about the Air Force, they are predominantly in the sky. Exactly. And if anybody was going to be running into these things more than not, it would be them. That's yeah. Probably the only other, assumption. the other uh, group of people that would be even in, in the same class with them would be airline pilots. Yeah. And there was just that episode where one was cited, I believe, uh, out West mm-hmm. by an airliner. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a very fascinating time. And, and so what do I, how do you kind of quantify what's happening right now? Something's happening. Someone's telling, saying they're trying to say something. Do what do I expect at the end of this month? I expect a sanitized version, and maybe with me, I'm rose-colored about the subject enough. It's exciting. It's almost exciting enough for me what has been shared. Uh, I'm, I'm in, in the a same. Way. I'm I'm in the same boat with you because, and I think I was saying this to somebody in another episode or in a in a conversation that it it, it brings some validity to the last 50, 51 years of my life. Yeah. Not having gone wasted on something that was complete bullshit. Yeah. And there's people that I follow that I happen to have an enormous amount of respect for that are not in this field that are not tied to this field, but they would be people that are what I would consider in advanced thinking, mm-hmm. advanced thought. Um, and, I've listened to their podcasts and they've brought it up and they've said that they've had private conversations with people in the know and they're, and they have said that I'm preparing myself for the fact that I'm going to have to stop laughing at people that I've been laughing at for the last 40 years. (laughs) And so it's, again, do I need the government to say, to throw aside the curtain and say everything? I don't know that I need that. Do I want that? Of course. But, what they've already let out is a light year from anything else we've been, we've had, you know, in one way. And even if I I heard someone interesting and that I follow, I'm not going to say the name because I can't remember who it was, but it was someone that I was listening to. And he said something very interesting. He said, the one thing I think that can't happen with the report is they're not going to be able to do another blue book and say it's swamp gas or some other bullshit. You know, I don't, so I think they can't do that, but what will they do? I'm excited to find out. I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna, but I really feel like, wow, we've gotten a huge amount of material already, you know? Yeah, we sure have. What do you, what do you make, what do you make out of the, the fact that everything that we've, been told by our government so far has come through military channels. Do you think that that is an intentional, an intentional route that they've taken to, to spur the thoughts that this is definitely something that is a, a menace or a, yeah, a threat, a threat to our national security. 
rather yeah, than rather than coming from a different governmental agency, possibly from well, the standpoint a, of, you know, isn't it wonderful that there could be a possible another life form that we could consider, you know, a, a, a distant brother or yeah. it, it seems that everything that's coming out comes from the military and it, even if they're not saying it, it, it makes you walk away with, hmm. They're yeah, scared. Well, they're investigating this because a, they're scared. Yeah, and I think there's a couple things that could be going on. Um, psychologically, from a na- nation-state psychology, maybe the military's the one talking because the military is the one that's tried to contain it because perhaps, I don't know, but do we really have a military answer for what occurred on the West Coast in, in the Nimitz in the Nimitz event, and on the East Coast with the gimbal and whatnot, do we did we really present a military answer to that? Apparently, we have the Space Force. Well, <laughs> but the reality is, the pilots experiencing that said very unequivocally, Commander David Fravor being one. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't have a military answer. Right. It was flying circles around us. There was no way we had any way to contain that whatever it was. So when you're in the government and you do not have a way to potentially protect the public, what does that do? What is, how does that information get inseminated into the government machine? It's a very fascinating subject because we're also living in a country that has a very, I won't, I don't want to dwell on this subject because I could go on forever, but we have pretty, I mean, I don't think it's unacceptable to say this. We have a very large military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. We have a very, I don't know, is it a runaway military industrial complex? Certainly President Eisenhower tried to warn us of that in the 50s. You're talking about the highest ranking general in the United States Army. Was he the only five-star general? He was during World War II. I don't know if there's been more five-star generals. But this was a man that, as he left the presidency, warned us. So he if did. the military-industrial contract complex is the one that's writing all the checks, I mean, we could go on forever, man. I mean, Boston Dynamics robots. Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not making... If that's not nightmare fuel, I I don't know what the hell it is. You see the guys, I'm not going to make... I'm not making a weapon system. Sorry, man. Bullshit. Who's writing your check? (laughs) Five minutes after they take delivery on that, there's going to be a gun on it. I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I'd sound crazy, but who's writing the checks? And so who's writing the checks, Eric? Have you heard, I mean, you're a, you're a native of Michigan, you live there. Have you heard that there are two specific properties, one actually up around Traverse City, I forget where the other one is, that are in contention for U.S. Space Force vertical and horizontal takeoff that's bases? A, that's, aw- that's actually awesome in a way, but yeah, no, I've never heard that. That's incredible. Yeah. Two spots in Michigan. I know Traverse City area is one of them, and I believe that was for horizontal takeoff, and wow. then one further down in the state for vertical takeoff. Yeah, what, what does the hell mean, does right? that mean? What does what any does of that mean? 
but it's <laughs> but people say well it's it means nothing but yeah but it's hundreds of millions of dollars of our tax dollars so they don't i mean yeah i mean there's a crazy amount of money spent on stuff that we might think is silly but a space force what does that mean <laughs> I'm, i mean what is that is like some incredible shit <laughs> yeah. what does that really mean I don't think the public, the public for one thing, has had a very interesting reaction to all of this disclosure so far. It, they're numb to it somehow. I don't, I don't really understand that part. But they're also numb to the Space Force thing. Now, you could make the point that, yeah, I mean, the Japanese government, then they find some asteroid that's, I mean, what they're finding in space in terms of rare earth metals, mm-hmm on some of these rocks, we're talking about quadrillions of dollars worth of on a rock. So is there not a race to that? Of course there is. Of course there is. We have a lot of batteries to build, to put in cars (laughs) and lithium ain't going to get it done. (laughs) There's not enough lithium to get it done. And so, yeah, I mean, is that that's a real low hanging fruit on that subject that of course there's going to be a way to secure those, those resources for the United States. Um, beyond that, man, who knows? I mean, it is an amazing time to be alive and be interested in this subject that much. I know. Um, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but, uh, well, I'll yeah, tell certainly you what. I, I, yeah, please. Go ahead and finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, I mean, there's something that I I feel like I've been following for enough decades of my life to where I don't fall for, like, the real outlandish stuff. I feel like I can sniff that out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have a pretty grounded, a grounded time with it. Let's put it that way. Well, I have a friend of mine who uh, I actually do a, uh an occasional local podcast just to the, the local area here, um, a small community. And, uh, he, on our other show, he let me do a, a Bigfoot show with a couple of guys from the lost cryptids conservatory one. And, and it was well received. A lot of people listened to it. Right. But this kind of topic really didn't have a place in that, in that show. It was more about local businesses and local sports and stuff like that. But he's he's kind of taken an interest in this. He's he's an avid hunter, and uh, turkey season he's always out deer hunting, always out archery, gun, whatever it is. Summertime he's putting up his cameras and you know checking checking his fields and stuff like that. And he he's kind of he's kind of started to take an interest in this, and uh, he's he surprises me because you know. About once a week, I'll get a, a text message from him and say, hey, what do you think about this? And he'll, you know, like such and such video, 40 minutes and 58 seconds in. Tell me what you think about this. And uh, what he's going through right now are the are the steps that I went through 20 years ago. Yeah. Where, where he's having to want to entertain the thought of the existence of these things. But he's having to he's having to wade through. You an absolute all the myriad lights. of bullshit yeah. and, and hoaxes. Through, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, what's the best documentary to, to watch? Well, <laughs> I, 
can't really tell you that because can't really tell there, you that one. <laughs> there are some documentaries that have footage in it that have since been proven to be hoaxes. And there's documentaries out there that have things that in it that are that are good. But you know, I can't I can't specifically tell him, watch this documentary, don't pay attention to this story, this story, this story, but pay attention to this one, this one. You know, yeah. it would it would just be too hard I call to do. it getting your I, I call it getting your heart broken. Yeah, kind you of. Get your, yeah. You got to get your heart broken. Yeah, and it's just time a, and time again until you really learn to be careful. Um, careful with yourself, right? You don't want to get your hopes up. But I think a lot of it falls on for me is when you see a real biological creature, whether it's a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my. But when you see something like that, you know even though I'm not a, an expert in the mechanics of how a tiger moves, I can still see a live tiger and know that it's not fake. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and for years, no, I totally get what you're talking about. For it reminds years, me of like, go ahead. Uh, for years, you know, the Patterson Gimlin film was something that I, you know, I would look at and I would watch and it was so jumbly. And so you had so very little bit of that, footage that was steady enough to make anything out but you really still couldn't make anything out but now that with the advent of stabilization and people being able you know to take that film and and uh stabilize it and slow it down and 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 make it sharper and crisper and enhance the the colors and using all kinds of filters and and things that you know i mean is it mk davis i mean he even found a a braid in Patty's hair. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, so the, the technology is catching up with our ability to enhance these things. And, you know, I mean, yeah, that's the one piece of film that gets more real. The more they try to take it down. It does really. You know? Yeah, it does really. I mean, did I just read something recently? I may be totally off my rocker, but didn't one of the gentlemen involved with that say that there was actually a second one present? Um, there's, there's some, uh, Bobby short was a, uh, a female investigator who passed away a few years ago now. And, um, she apparently had, uh, information that has led at least MK Davis and, uh, um, Scott Carpenter and a couple of other guys who have a fairly reputable name in the in the research area um that not only was there another one within the tree line Mm -hmm. but the the events that took place prior to the film that we see was actually um kind of a bloodbath where uh, these gentlemen that came in on horses and had uh especially trained dogs went in there and actually um, killed a couple of them. Wow. And according to Bobby Short's um, information that she relayed in a series of emails and letters um, seems to confirm that. Uh, I know somebody else that I had seen said that they had seen uh, a portion of the original full-length film of it and said that 
there is a uh, there's a bloody dog footprint that is able to be seen in what we know as the PG film, but -hmm. apparently there was a um, a small pool of water that had been colored red because of the blood of this apparent ambush. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Know I remember that. reading something recently about this. Yeah, that that some of the actions of the cameraman was because he was trying to not. There was some sort of interaction with the second one or something. Yeah. While there, he was trying to film Patty, and he was describing his body motions during that time because he was trying to film her, but keep an eye on the second one or something. I'm probably way off on that. It's just something I read recently. Well, I think so. Bob Gimlin uh, originally stated that he wanted to. Um, take off after her on his horse. Yeah. And, and Patterson was like, don't leave me here because if there's another one, then, you know, we, so, yeah, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Fascinating. I mean, it, it would be unfortunate, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the talk of a couple other ones being shot and killed. Um, yeah. Could be, I know, man, could be you true, know, on but, this subject in the UFOs, I have a lot of buddies that are super frustrated. You know, they get very frustrated by, well, we don't know anything. And I guess I always try to remind them, isn't it fun to live in a world that's not explained? I mean, do you really want all of this solved? I don't know that I do. I don't, I I want, I want, I want to live in a world that's way more expansive. You You bring up a good point. Because when they do come out, if they do come out and say, yes, UFOs are real, and, you know, we don't know where they're coming from, but there is a potential that they could be extraterrestrial and UFOs become a everyday, no big deal. Just like watching the weather on your local news. Oh, there was UFO sighted over South Bend Regional Airport. Uh, whatever. <laughs> it's kind of going to be a bummer for me because yeah, and I'd be, then yeah, the, and the glossiness I of, of the, the idealistic portion of my brain that, that has delved into this for so long is going to kind of be now what <laughs> yeah well the good news is is there's always something else right we'll find yeah find some other frontier to get through but yeah this has been a lot of fun man it's been a good it's been a good couple of years yeah for sure Hopefully. and this conversation has been great thank well you. i uh i absolutely enjoyed having you on here thank you for um sticking with me i know you had a lot of things going on in your life and uh it's gonna get it's gonna get even busier once you get mama in yeah. the new house and uh, you get the grandbaby around. That's gonna be a whole new whole new set of things for you to do. So I appreciate for you sure. taking the time. And uh, yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I actually needed this with everything going on. It's been a great time with you, and I appreciate everyone putting up with me. Well, good. I'm um, I'm pleased that you uh, were able to make it tonight, and I think maybe we'll have to uh, stay in touch and we'll revisit the idea of doing a just doing a show on uh, on your thoughts on the the ufo culture i'm down man let's do it i all love right. it all right jeff thank you so much thank you eric thank you very much good night good night. thank you for joining me this evening if you have an experience or there's a topic that you'd like to have covered on an upcoming episode please contact me at contact dot uncomfortable at gmail.com You can like us on Facebook and 
follow us on Instagram and Twitter. All at Uncomfortable Podcast. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave a review. T-shirts are still available in sizes medium through 2XL. The cost is $25, and that covers the shipping to anywhere in the continental U.S. The show is growing by leaps and bounds, thanks to you, the listener. We've got some great content coming up, so stick around. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.